You went extreme. You took it from not being in school to going back to school to getting an mm-hmm. undergraduate degree to earning a master's degree and then getting a PhD. Mm-hmm. Wow. All because you saw that your father didn't live out his dreams the way he liked to have lived it and took it to the extreme. Yeah. It, it, wow. it was my dad and my, and my mom being like almost like on, on a, like almost dying as well. It's like, it was like shit. It's like my seeing my brothers struggle with life, seeing the people around me struggle with everything. It's like shit. It's, I have an opportunity here. I'm already like halfway there through college. All I have to do is finish this shit. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is make sure that when I finish this shit, I assume that I will get a job. Mm -hmm. After I get a job, I assume that I'll make a career. I didn't, I I wasn't planning then to go into video games because we're talking about video games. People, if you were wondering, yes, we're going to go up to esports soon. Don't worry. But (laughs) it's, I mean, I just try to approach it from the perspective. Okay. One Step at a time, baby steps. It's like, okay, cool. First get out of this, then get out of that. And kind of like see it as a kind of like chain, a chain of like you set the thing in motion and that impacts the other thing, which will impact the other thing and impact the other thing. Like basically be more pragmatic about it, break it down. Because if right. you try like, okay, I'm here now, I'm depressed. I feel super sad, right. <laughs> but I want to be a millionaire. <laughs> right, <laughs> which, I, right. which, which I am not, by the way, I wish. But that is too big of a leap. Okay, how do I get out of depression? Out of this depression first. And then take it down there. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to my masterclass. I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University. I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts. I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University. And currently, I'm the Global Scholar Practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I'll also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges. It's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Welcome back to another episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams. That's me, Dr. Mark. Yeah, don't get it twisted. I'm a doctor, not a doctor of medicine, but a doctor of knowledge. No, actually, I'm a doctor of education because I don't want y'all to think he just made up that name like Dr. J and Dr. Dre. No, I'm really a doctor, Dr. Mark Williams, you know, got the doctorate from West Virginia University, WVU, go Mountaineers. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I'm so happy to be here. As you know, always practicing social distancing with my mask. Yes, I've got the city of Miramar, Florida. You know, it's right next to, you know, Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Mayor Messam, my fraternity, my alpha brother, Mayor Messam. You know, he ran for president of the United States. That's a good brother. Yes, that is my fraternity brother. And I got to give a shout out to my university, Florida Memorial University, down in Miami Gardens, Dr. Hardrick, President Hardrick, another alpha brother. Thank you. And Dr. Cooper, thank you for all you've done for me. And today we have a very special guest from someone from across the country. Not this country. He's in another country. But we're going to talk about him. I'm actually trying to get my enunciations uh, down. So I want to make sure I don't butcher uh, the places that he grew up in and where he's from and where his company is located. But before we get started, some of you wonder why we do the masterclass. We do the masterclass because we want to educate people about who they are. We don't educate them. They educate us. Okay. All your experiences that you go through, that is your masterclass. You are the expert of whatever you do. Some of you notice that, yeah, he's a doctor. He's got, he's tatted up. Yes. I got the mic on the arm right here. That, yeah. Yeah. L-O, he, I got inspired by LL. You know, he, in that, remember that video four, three, two, one. Yeah. We talking about cannabis. He's like, let me get back to that mic on my arm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And so I got the mic on my arm because I spit fire for a living. Yes. You need to go check it out. I spit fire for a living dog. Seriously. And so, that's what I do. And this other one right here, the hero. Okay. This right here is inspired by my mentor, Dr. Fred Luthans. Okay. He's the father of psychology of organizational behavior. Okay. So the hero is people always ask me, who's your hero? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it this guy named LeBron James? Is it Seth Curry? Is it Martin Luther King? Who's your hero? I said, I'm my own hero. We want to teach you that you're your own hero. Okay. So what is hero? What is the acronym for that? Is hope, right? 
You got to have hope if you really want to do something, right? Whatever goal you want to achieve, it's efficacy. It's something that you did before and you it's repetition, doing it again. So if you do multiplication and you say, I don't know if I can do calculus, well, you did multiplication. You did that form of math. You can do it. So, right? So you can do that. Then is resilience, right? Everyone knows what it means to be resilient. And we as a people are resilient. And when I mean people, I don't mean black people. I mean, people in general, we are resilient kind of a people. And then there's optimism. Okay, that rounds it off. You've got to be optimistic. And that's what I am. And there's a song by Sound of Blackness called Be Optimistic. Yeah, it's a gospel song. Look it up. YouTube it. YouTube it. Okay, so that's the hero. And then the last one is the mighty, mighty, mighty lion right here. Right here, the Leo lion. Leo lion. That's me. I'm a Leo. So I got, yeah, I'm tatted up. At the same time, it's a way to tell the story and to educate and empower people. And I am so serious about telling my life story and giving, giving people energy, give them strength and get them a, a way to tell their story and not just say, hey, I do this for a living. Uh, here's my title. Here's my position. That's nice. But who are you when you lose your job? Who are you when you're no longer working? Who are you when you go to bed at night? Who are you? You are not that brand. You are an individual person. So we want people to tell us who they are what they're about, how do they arrive where they're at in their journey along the way. And that's what we do in the masterclass. We're not just going to talk about esports and video games. We're going to talk about music, fashion, film. And you know, I'm going to talk about the Jays. I can't go nowhere without my Jordan ones. This ain't scripted. I ain't writing this stuff down. Yes. And I said, ain't, did I say that? Yeah, I said, ain't. That's right. Anyway, we're going to get into it with my man. I have a good friend here, right here, that we're going to introduce to you. He's someone that I respect a great deal. He's been in the game for a long time. And when I mean the game, I don't mean the basketball game or the football game. That's a terminology, my friends. The game. He's been out there doing his thing. And his name is Leon Winkler. Some of you probably like, I know that cat. I know that brother. I know that brother. Yeah, I do sound effects too. And yeah, I, but here's the thing. You know, yeah, Leon. Yes, I know. Yeah. Leon's a good brother. Okay. So Leon, he's a director of international events of Ubisoft. 15 years strong. 15 years. Well, who is Ubisoft? What do they do? Where are they located? I'm going to see if I get the name right. They're located okay. in Montreal. Well done, Dr. Martin. Yes, oh, I got done. him the first yes. one after the 15 takes, right? <laughs> it's the eastern suburbs of Paris and France, my friends, all right? And what that do they have? Correct. They have games like Rayman, Raving Rabbits. They've got Prince of Persia. they got Assassin's Creed, Tom Clancy's series, and the most of all, Rainbow Six, okay? And they are the third, well, the fourth largest brand out there in the space, followed by Activision, Blizzard, EA, Take-Two, but give or take, it doesn't matter. We got the nah. man. We've got the we've got the myth. We got the legend. We've got the the RZA. You know, those you know about hip hop. You know about Wu Tang. That's the head. The RZA. You know what I'm saying? We got the RZA. We got the head of the head of 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 this wonderful company because this man does not more than just spit fire. He DJs. He runs all the international events. The myth. The legend. Leon Winkler. What's up, brother? How you doing? That's an introduction I can't top. Holy shit. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And thanks everyone for watching this and listening to this even better. Yes. And watching and listening, brother. So yes. And Hope you and I, I have it. a lot of friends in common in the gaming industry. One hip hop gamer. He came, he ripped the stage, uh, killed it. Gerard, if you're watching, love you, dude. We need to catch up for sure. Yes, good brother. He set the tone for us. And and again, a lot of people, you ever see, there's a lot of different movies that really want to illustrate about hip-hop. And I always tell people that hip-hop and rap, people are like, what's the difference? You know, rap is what you do. All right? Hip-hop is something you live. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Love that. Yep. Oh, Couldn't yeah. agree with you more. Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey, you know, watching, you know, Run DMC, Curtis Blow, Run DMC, you know, all mm -hmm. those cats. But, you know, DJ Cool Herc, you know, African Bambada. Let's see, Karis One. Let's see, Boogie Down Productions. Scott LaRock. You know, so you don't, they don't know what I'm talking about. Public Enemy, right? But my dad used to play the last poets to us in the 70s, right? Gil Scott Heron. So I come from that space. I'm all about the consciousness of hip hop, the quality, the most deaf, you know, all those cats, you know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. you are a hip hop head. Who are the people that you love growing up to listening to American and international artists in terms of the hip hop space? Because I know that played a big role in what developed you as a human being. Wow. Where, where to start? Well, actually, I mean, when I grew up, I didn't listen to that much music. I mean, I was, I was like this nerdy kid. Didn't mm -hmm. really have that many friends. Didn't really... Sure do that much more other than either like try to play some Nintendo 8-bit or play with my G.I. Joe and like 
that they like or create like these these weird like fictional radio shows in which I was the host. Very yeah. weird kid I was. And at a certain point in time, I remember my older brother, who was like five years older than me, he started listening to like the, the New York style hip hop. He started listening to Slick Rick, Kumodi. Slick Rick, Lolly Dolly was Lolly Dolly oh, a song? Yes. Oh, we yeah. like the party. But, we don't cause mm-hmm. trouble. We don't bother nobody. Don't bother nobody. We're just, just a, some men that's on the mic. Exactly. We rock, we rock up rock. on the mic. We rock the mic. Right. Right. It, For all of y'all. Now, see, I don't, get me, <laughs> don't get me started with that. But go ahead. <laughs> but, but, but to me, that was like, it, it was it was interesting to me. But as a I was more into like movies and, and like TV and all that kind of shit. And mm. I remember that at a certain point in time, and that was later. I mean, I think it was like 13, 14. No, a little bit younger. Crisscross. Crisscross. Uh, jump. Jump. I was like in like, 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 I was like, what you call it? Like not high school, but just before that. Right. And I was have my Walkman on. I felt like I was the shit because I had like crisscross. And mm-hmm. Try to be <laughs> make an impression by that, but other than that, didn't really go that much deeper until I started going out with my older brother when I was around sixteen. He was twenty one, so I could like tag along with him, go to the local clubs and bars and whatever. And there started kind of like developing my love for for hip hop as a culture and hip hop as indeed, like you say, a way to share knowledge and expertise and experience and all that kind of stuff. Because when I started going out. I actually landed this job at this like tiny club over in the north part of Holland where super like super white club, super white audience. However, it was, I mean, how old was I? It was 16 when I started working there. So that was in 97-ish. In Holland and in Europe, hip-hop just started to kind of like pop. But it wasn't like as big as it was in the States. It wasn't something that mainstream thought they could make any money of because in their opinion it was like oh black music and whenever we play this music it's going to be fights and all that kind of shit and when i like i said i was 16 started working there and then when i was 18 still worked there i started throwing parties hip-hop and r&b parties just because the fact that i was one of or i was the only black person working there so for any non-white people coming in they were like hey can you play some can you play some Biggie? Can you play some whatever Faith Evans, Diddy, or that kind of stuff? And I always ask the DJ, like, hey, can you maybe like play some cool music instead of this whatever music? <laughs> and they're like, no, can't play this, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, certain point in time, because I started getting so many requests, I was like, shit, maybe I should like just like, produce a party. I mean, apparently a lot of people want to hear this kind of music. I work in this location. I work at this club. Maybe they want to like allow me to do this party. So after some convincing, I managed to convince them to give me their location to produce this R&B and hip hop party, which I called the, what was it? I think it literally called it R&B and hip hop party back then. Mm-hmm. And we had this, like this deal with the club where, where I took like any money that was like, like entrance fee, cover fee like that went to me and they got everything else which was a terrible deal but <laughs> that was a terrible deal yeah but hey you i didn't know any entrepreneurs did you <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know man, man jesus man i grew up in like welfare so i didn't have any entrepreneurs or whatever in my in my close circle for me this was a huge opportunity like oh shit right. they're gonna let me do like parties i can be like the popular guy like get all the all the women and stuff which didn't work out of course uh <laughs> but it, it was like a huge opportunity I'll take it. I also had to like pay for like security. I had to pay for DJ. I had to pay for like promotion and all that kind of stuff. It was a small city. So it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that much money, but mm-hmm. I remember doing that first party, producing that first party, flyering and promoting, going to like schools to promote, going to like, like the fashion stores, whatever to promote that shit. And <laughs> I remember like riding my bike because mm-hmm. here in Holland, we ride bikes. <laughs> you ride bikes rode, in Holland, okay. Yeah, exactly, yeah, weird stuff. So I rode my bike from, from my, I lived with my parents, I was 18, so yeah, I lived with my parents, rode my bike to like the city center of the place where I used to live. And I remember like arriving in like the town square where the club was, club, mm-hmm. club. And there was this huge line in front of the, this huge queue in front of the club, even like two hours before we opened. <laughs> and at first I was like, ah, they can't be here for my party. Like, ah, I mean, I was like a nerd. Why the fuck would they come to my party? Mm. And then when I like saw all of them, like wear like, like, like <laughs> Pele Pele and Jordans and all that, and like Durags and all that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, yeah. they were probably, they're probably not here for the, the, the cafe next door. They're here for my party. 
Mm-hmm. So we sold out that first party and mm-hmm. kind of like that started the journey of me really venturing deeper into hip hop and R&B and the culture in general. You know, you know that, uh, that when you talked about crisscross and jump, you know that, you know, that Jermaine Dupre, him and uh, Mike Bivens, they, that was a problem because they was just an ABC, another bad creation. Mm-hmm. You know, everything inside, I was wiggy, 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 yep. right? And he yep. talked about how, you know, you know, don't actually act like you know and don't be claiming that it's mental. That, that, mm-hmm. that, that was the whole thing with the BBD, uh, you claiming that it's mental with all BBD stuff. Yeah. And so they didn't get along for years. And so that's, that's one of many rap beefs that we throw out there. But so, so tell me a part of hip hop, man. Yeah, yep. exactly. And, and so you grew up and so let's make sure we get, let everybody know. So you grew up in Amsterdam with a Dutch That's mom correct. and Suriname's dad. What was mm-hmm. that like? Was there, was that a, in terms of the culture where you lived that, did, did you have to, did you encounter was, any kind of racism or oh yeah, just for any? Sure, for, for sure. It was super, it was, it was weird. I mean, I was born in 81 mm-hmm. in Holland in like a um, neighborhood that, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't call it hood. Not at all, mm-hmm. but it was it was definitely not an affluent neighborhood at all. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like a neighborhood where like all of the people that they couldn't place anywhere else in Amsterdam kind of like ended up. So you have like different cultures. My dad was like in my like as a dad in my life until probably like around eight. And then mm-hmm. he bounced because, well, that's what happens every now and then. Okay. And so it's not just an American thing. So fathers do leave no, their fathers no, do leave their kids. No, I, th- I think that's kind of like a thing that happens all across the world. People, bad dads being like, yeah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, even though we're not laughing at absentee fathertism out there, no, we're not, no, we're not, not advocating no, I mean, that. Okay. I mean, we're just, maybe, we're just stating a fact. Stating a fact indeed. And I mean, I mean, <laughs> having to deal with it myself. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Better laugh. I mean, what else? I mean, you want me to cry here? I mean, that would be very sad. We're not going to have that kind of conversation here, I hope. <laughs> but you know, um, I, I do that. I kind of get people bring. I bring people to their knees on this show. People cry, they laugh, they confess. But but we're not we're not going to get you to confess any of that today. But you're going to say something today. So tell us what was it like? So not, that when your dad left at eight, mm-hmm. did that leave a void in your life as far as yep. identifying, as far as dealing yes. with men and who you look for as a role model? It was it was tough, man. I mean, I had no real role models, and then my mom started dating this 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 white dude who was your typical wicked stepdad, who kind of like berated berated my my dad because he was black, mm. and like literally said it that kind of kind of stuff. So you get mm. kind of that that kind of that kind of vibe from from your from your stepdad, and since so my mom had some some other stuff going on, personal stuff like mental stuff as, as everyone can have. Mm-hmm. It, it was tough. I mean, it was very tough. And then I remember, I mean, it was still in, I was still in touch with my dad. It's like, he was, it wasn't like he completely pieced out of my life, but he was, he was just, I mean, if I wanted to see him, I had to go to him. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I didn't really, I mean, didn't see him as a role model that much, even though he was cool. He was always like cool as shit. My dad was like cool as shit. He was like, I think he was stuck in the seventies, like the, the, the loafers, <laughs> like the silk, the silk shirts, yeah. the, the, the brown pants and all that kind of stuff, big fro. And, but still he wasn't really a role model. And then at a certain point in time, I think I was 15. So it took a while. It was like after my wicked stepdad left and already did some irreparable damage in, in like the young, young Leon. I remember meeting my older brother consciously for the first time because my dad, he had fun in his life. So he had multiple kids oh. and my older brother was like 10 years old and I knew about him. I knew mm-hmm. about him, Gerald. I knew about him, but I never really hung out with him because he was so much older. He had a different mom and my mom had no contact with his mom. Mm-hmm. And my dad was my dad. So he was like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> and I remember my older brother, he just had his first son, Justin. And he came to introduce Justin and his wife to my dad. And I happened to be there in the cafe that my dad kind of like hung out. My dad mm-hmm. liked the, the brown juice. <laughs> and I remember being in there, like meeting my older brother, who was cool as shit. He was everything I wanted to be. He was like right. the the dude with like the smooth talking dude, yeah, super social, super amicable. And I was not nothing but that, nothing like that at all. I was like the wallflower nerd, antisocial, zero social skills, zero. You grew, you grew out of that because you're 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 that now. But go ahead. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you're so. you're cool. So don't don't <laughs> no, downplay your don't 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 downplay your dopeness. Don't ever I mean, do that. Well, I appreciate I appreciate Are that. You dope? I mean, it, Are you I'm considered super, yourself dope? I am extremely dope, but it took me a while to realize how dope I am. 
but he realizes that he's dope. Okay. So I want to remind everyone before we have the dope Leon Winkler continue, we're talking to Leon Winkler, the director of international events of Ubisoft. I mean, you're listening to the Esports Future Eye podcast network, my friends, and with Innovation Media Enterprises, my girl Aaron and Sia holding it down. Thank you so much for all your support. And AJ on the wheels is still the ones and twos. And you know, uh, Leon, I, I say that to him to kind of get him pumped up. My man, he's got his degree last year and uh, he holds it down to make our sound sound good. But we cannot, we can be, we can't remiss without saying, got to give props to Jacob Miles III. Not oh. the first, not the second, not the, but the third. Jacob Miles III, he's the RZA, the head. And I uh, just want to say peace to every one of those individuals. But let's get back to Leon. He's going to explain to us his dopeness because, again, a lot of us, when we talk about ourselves, when people ask us about ourselves, we, we tend to say, I want to be humble. See, when you be humble, you're, you're actually downplaying who you are. You're downplaying the greatness that God has breathed into you. And a lot of us like to downplay who we are. And we don't want to do that. So I always tell people to tell us, explore their dopeness. So you know you're dope, brother. I, I mean, I, I yes. think I do. But I think it's also people don't want to come across like they're arrogant as shit. I mean, that's, and that's because that's definitely not me. By the way, what I appreciate what you just did there is give props to your people behind the scenes. Yes, really absolutely. Love, really love what you do that. A lot of people who like watch these kind of things, podcasts or events that I produce, they're like, oh, yeah, they see the people in front of the, in front of the screen. They see right. the, the famous faces and whatever, which is cool, but they don't realize how many people work behind the scene to make this shit happen. So, indeed, let me echo what you just said. Appreciation for the team behind the scenes. Yes, got to appreciate the team. I, I would never, I'd be remiss if I don't appreciate the team. They're the ones that make you look good. And they're the ones that make you, they, t- they challenge you. Lewis Johnson, who he's the... He's one of the top broadcasters in the world. He's, he's covered 10 Olympics uh, games, winter and summer. And one of the things I speak for a living for the last 25 years, I, I'm, I'm known as a motivational speaker. However, I had never drank tea before I spoke before. And so he told me I drink hey. tea and lemon. And this is what I'm drinking right now. Tea and lemon before every time I speak. 100%. And it's worth, worth, worth wonders for me. And I have two women that produce this, Aaron and Sia. And that's something, again, that we don't talk about with women at all. I, when I first met them, I said, I don't know too many women that have their own podcast companies. And I said, you're unique. And at first they said, well, I said, no, embrace your dopeness. Right. And then I got my man, AJ. He's just a monster, man. Young, young mm-hmm. cat, young lion. And of course, I, you've, got, you've got to give props to the people you work with. And I think the more you give props to people you work with and people around you, it empowers them and it emboldens them to want to become greater than who they are. And I just 100%. think that that's important, right? And on, top, and on top of that, it's showing the appreciation and yes. showing the fact like it, it's, 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 it's the same thing. It's my, it's my motivation as well from how I do events. For me, the reason why I do events is to give back and it's to, to show the people that create my job, the fans, the players, like, hey, I appreciate you. Mm. It's, it's, it's all about that. It's creating that vibe of appreciation and love because that's all, that's, all, that's I mean, you wouldn't be here if you wouldn't have your support. Right. I wouldn't be here if I wouldn't have my support. And that's the thing. You would all, always appreciate and show appreciation to your support group, whoever that is. So let's go back to, to, to you were talking about your brother and how you wanted to be like him. Oh, yeah, he was, he was cool as shit. Because you, because you, you now have this um, mentality, like you just explained about your events. You like to give back, and you talked about how I like to give props to the people that work with me. Mm-hmm. When did you develop this? Was that always in you, or when yeah, did this happen? I, I, I think it happened because of my the situation with my mom and with my stepdad. And at a certain point in time, when my stepdad left, he left my mom with like a two hundred thousand euro, and it wasn't euro; it was gilder back then. So that's like let's say a hundred k debt mm. with for a mom who was in welfare. It's, mm. That was like almost like a death tab, and she went. I mean, she went down, and she had, she. I mean, that's that's something that that weighs heavy on them and on the person's psyche. So I was fifteen, and my mom, even though she was there, she wasn't there, so I had to take care of her and I had to take mm. care of everything. And I think that kind of like installed this this need for me to kind of like take care of people. I like that. I like facilitating and making people feel happy and making people forget about their routine or whatever struggles that they might have. And it kind of Mm. like, that's what makes me feel happy. And I remember at a certain point in time, also linked to this, when I started doing these events, I think it was the first or second party that I, that I produced. And I remember, I didn't really know how to like deal with the kind of like success and like people being like all appreciative to me because I wasn't used to that in my life. It was to me, it was like, I so people came up to me and being like, oh, amazing. Thank you so much. We're doing this party, blah, blah, blah. And it was just, okay, or this wallflower leaning back against the wall in the back of the club, looking at everything going on, but not really, <laughs> not really enjoying it. I remember a certain point in time walking around the venue, seeing like the manager of the venue 
hang back, white dude, arms crossed, leaning back, mm-hmm. looking at what was going on. So I walked up to him and he's like, are you okay? Everything good? <laughs> We're good? We're cool? And yeah. he's like, he basically, he literally took me by the shoulders. He like turned me around, facing like the crowd, putting mm-hmm. my back to the wall. He's like, dude, look at what you created. Mm. Appreciate this. You did this. Wow. How'd that make you feel? Almost emotional. Mm. Because it was like, oh, I kind of like, it kind of like something clicked. You're like, ah, it's like the appreciation of the now. You're like, mm. okay, we're here. Appreciate what you just, what you just did, what you work for. And not so much to be like, oh, look at me. I'm amazing. But it's more like you created something out of nothing. Mm. There was nothing. And mm. you did something that made people have fun. Right. And that was to me was like another way to really appreciate, well, realize the fact that I, that I was on the right path at least. Right. Wow. That's powerful. And see, uh, there are things that happen in our lives that really get us to uh, think about who we are, our Mm -hmm. our immortality, our our, our thoughts. And, and it's interesting how you took some of these experiences that you, uh, you experienced growing up with your father being gone, uh, your Mm -hmm. stepfather, and then that created this mindset for you to want to take care of people because you wanted to take care of your mom, yep. you want to make sure that people felt good. And so it's interesting because people talk about career paths and you talk about, hey, I went to college and I did this, and but no one ever talks about the origins of really the deepness of what, what really yeah, happened. Yeah, because that's, I mean, the thing that happened in your life, the thing that you're confronted with, it will shape you one way or the other and that will impact your career and your mm-hmm. education. And for me, it was indeed the combination of doing these parties, but I started doing these parties because I interacted more with my older brother that I met like a few years prior to that, because I met him when I was 15, started working at that club when I was 16, started doing parties when I was 18 Mm. and started getting more involved with hip hop because my older brother was like hip hop head. He was hip hop head Mm -hmm. and the the cool guy that I looked up to. So through him, I saw that there was this huge like world out there, this culture of, of people that enjoyed this music and they seem to be rather untapped in Holland. So doing these parties confirmed that feeling even more. And at a certain point in time, I remember like, well, probably after one of these parties and after doing these parties for like a year, maybe two years, I had this, this one night that I couldn't really sleep and had this idea of like, kind of like a yo MTV raps kind of shit mm. in Holland. I was like, why is there nothing here, here in Holland really localized for Dutch folks, focusing on the Dutch hip-hop, upcoming hip-hop culture. And next morning, woke up, still had that idea in my head. So I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote it down, went to my older brother, hip-hop head, and kind of like started vibing with him. And that idea turned into the TV show that I, in the end, managed to sell to... What year year was this? uh, 2000. Okay, so your early early influence with UMTV raps that was like in the late eighties, like eighty nine ninety. But but we had like this this we had a Dutch version of UMT or yeah UMTV raps which was hosted by a Dutch hip hop artist called Brainpower and another hip hop artist called Glaze. Mm-hmm. But it was very it was it was a cool show. I loved. It. I mean, it was, was it, I was was like, it during I, the same? Was, was it mid nineties? Yeah, it was like late nineties, late nineties. Late nineties. Like, okay. It was like yo. It was they called the show the pitch. But it was like the Yo MTV raps for of, of Holland. Okay. And it was super cool. But for me, it was like kind of like too rough around mm-hmm. the edges because I was kind of more into the like Keith Sweat 112 right. R&B smooth boy shit. Okay. <laughs> and I re- and I keep sweat. Top- Be- begging, begging keep sweat. Go ahead. Oh, exactly. <laughs> My man though. So, so I was like, okay, but this stuff doesn't really in here in Holland. Hip-hop like that, like the proper hip-hop, street hip-hop, didn't sell back then at all. It was like considered to be like gangster music, black music, mm. uh, N-word music even, like some people said over here. And I wanted to create something that kind of like bridged the gap. That wasn't like completely like hip-hop, but also wasn't like completely whitewashed, mm. <laughs> but kind of like in the middle. Right. And we created this TV show and managed to like sell it to well, one of M- the one of the channels of MTV Networks and produced that show for two years, three years, no, two years. Wow, you were out of school by now, out of college? Nope, still going to college. I was out of high You went to university. Was, at, you went to University of Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, I was bored, man. I was at a certain point in time. I went to. I started going to the University of Amsterdam when I was uh, twenty, I guess, nineteen, twenty, and. It was university. I mean, you've been to university, so you know it's a lot of textbooks, which is cool. 
Mm-hmm. And I love hearing about the theory about behind like movies and film and, and TV and why people watch it and all that kind of stuff and getting like philosophical insights and all that <clears throat> jazz. But, <clears throat> sorry, water. There you go. But at a certain point in time, it was kind of like, it was boring to me because I already kind of like worked in that club doing these parties at the same time. I like getting my hands dirty. Like, this is cool. This theoretical stuff is cool, but I'm kind of like missing to really doing something real. So kind of like did that TV show during college, mm-hmm. use my college kind of like network, that minor network of people that have cameras and had studios that I could use to produce this TV show because I had nothing. I was broke as fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually managed to do an internship at my own company being managed by my brother, my older oh. hip hop brother, because I started a company together with him, produced a TV show together with him because he was the inspiration kind of sort of. Mm-hmm. And yeah, kind of like managed to merge the things together. But then at a certain point in time, because the TV show became actually pretty popular and so popular that I couldn't walk the streets because people like started screaming my name and shit. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. We very weird. Imagine, imagine. I was like super nerd, anti-social, no social skills, weird, awkward, insecure, walking the streets, going to college, people running out of Burger King. Oh my God, Leon. Ah, who the fuck wow. You? That's super awesome. Weird. It was it was super it was awesome. But at the same time, it was very weird. It was it was such a completely opposite thing of what I was used to because. I mean, I grew up in like a small town, nobody mm-hmm. knew me, no friends, no girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, from one day to the next, that kind of shit happened. Which, I mean, because we became so popular and so successful, not popular, successful, started to invest more time in producing a TV show, kind of like neglected college because, well, in China, it's too easy to like pick and choose. But since I could like do an internship at my own company, I still got like points for that, which is nice. Yes, but since it was so, it was so much. There was so much shit coming on us, like people wanting stuff from me, hanging out with these local celebrities, with international celebrities. It kind of like it, it fucked with my head and and fucked with all of our heads. And we managed to start believing our own hype, and <laughs> effed up our company and wow. went bankrupt because at a certain point in time, MTV was like, "We do not want to work with you guys anymore." Because even though you guys are the most popular show on the, on the channel, you guys roll up with an entire entourage of like, like smoked out thugs. <laughs> because at a certain point in time, that's what kind of happened. Wow. And yeah, no. So they actually they never kind of like <laughs> after we were supposed to be like, have like our contract renewal conversations. Mm-hmm. Never even wanted. They, we never even got to the to, to that state. They didn't even want to talk to us, even though we had the numbers to show. Like we have the number one show on your channel. What the hell? Like, nope. Not even. Not even. Nope. Not even a nope. And they were like, "Wow." So now you're listening. Uh, so I want to remind people. This is it's fast. Just hold, hold your thought on that. I want to remind people we're listening to the Esports Future Ride Podcast Network, my friends on uh, Innovation yeah. Media uh, Enterprises with Aaron and Sia holding it down. With it. But I wanted to pause for a second to let people know what they're listening to because this is a fascinating conversation. You're talking to uh, an experienced uh, senior executive, one of, one of the largest brands uh, on the planet. And he's, he's, he's talking to us about the challenges. I don't like to call them mistakes. The challenges that he had working, creating a brand for MTV in Holland. And because of his recklessness, as he describes it, and with, him, with some of the people that are around him, his entourage that he built, that they didn't renew their contract. And here's the interesting part. My friends, when you get the opportunity to do something, whether it be a job, whether it be a career, whether it be a relationship, make sure that you practice integrity and bring integrity to the table. And a lot of times when we are talking amongst ourselves, we don't talk about the the things that the challenges that we have and how do you overcome those challenges? And that's part of the masterclass. That's your masterclass. And so, Leon, talk to me about how did you how did you shift, make that shift where you said, "Okay, we lost this contract. This opportunity, and now where did you go from there? Because you were, uh, were where did I go from there? Depression, yes. man. Depression, depression. Wow. wow, hardcore depression. It was, it was. Imagine, I mean, we had like our weekly kind of like editorial meetings in my brother's home, where mm-hmm. we had like around our entire entourage, twenty to thirty people eating on our expense, smoking at our expense, drinking at mm-hmm. our expense, all that kind of stuff, all that jazz, mm-hmm. fun times. But from one day to the next, they were all gone people that i would have that i considered my best friend back then gone mm. never to be found never to be heard of 
So it was a very kind of like uh, sobering experience being like, okay, so this is what this shit is like. Like mm. all these like networks and celebrities that I interacted with that were my friends and whatever, never heard of them at all, at all. Mm. So it was, it was difficult, difficult to really like regain myself. And on top of that, during that period, I mean, you know, you know what they say, it never rains, but of course. So my company went bankrupt. Mm. My dad developed a like a proper case of cancer and died. My mom had to get like six, like a bypass surgery, like heart bypass surgery. It was like all in the, all in the same span of like one to two years. So it was intense. It was super intense. And at a certain point in time, I didn't even think that I would ever get out of that shit. I was like, oh, I don't fucking know. It's like, yeah, I can go back to college. And I went back to college because that was a good distraction from all the bullshit that was going on. But to be confronted with the question every day on the streets from people being like, hey, whatever happened to your TV show? Are you going to come back? Are you going to do, hey, man, blah, 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 all that kind of shit. It was intense. It was weird. And I didn't have an answer because I was broke as fuck. As like wow. broke. And wow. we went, we went in for, because we, I was already broke when we started that shit. Right. And we had to like take a proper loan from the bank to produce this show. Mm-hmm. And we did because it was a huge opportunity. But since we didn't have the money to pay him back, you know, interest and fines and all that kind of stuff, kind of like the money went from one amount to probably tenfold. <laughs> and how, and how, how old were you around this time? 21, 22. 21. Wow. Yep. 21, 22. Bankrupt the company. Depression like parents died or a parent died mm. uh, a mom doing not that well my brothers do not doing that well my relationship broke up everything kind of like went to shit during that period but i just kept on breathing and just kept on going and i remember like okay certain point in time okay like i graduated from college mm. so, okay that is done so i have my doctorate so i'm also dr leon ha. <laughs> and he can say he's dr leon but go ahead. yes yes please you can move it's okay <laughs> it's like so I had that experience. I had the experience of doing my TV show. I had the experience of doing the parties. I had the experience of being, or the doctorate, like the paperwork. And masters. That's the masters. Yeah, I had a doctorate, a doctorate and a masters. So a doctorate, doctorate and a masters. Yep. I have a master's in arts and doctorate of, of well, media science. And did you just hear that? Did you did you hear that? Humble brain. Doctorate, a doctorate in media sciences. Okay. <clears throat> so we talked to the Dr. Winkler. And it's interesting, he never wants to talk about that side of him, but let, let's, let, we got to unpack something here for a second. Hold on a second. All right. This man talked about depression, okay? Overcoming adversity. Has a, a, star, a hit show in MTV in Holland. By the time he's 20, 21 years old, he can't walk through this country without people knowing who he is. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the TV show Cheers. Like when they say, Norm! They're more like, Leon! Father dies. Mother has bypass surgery, loses the show, becomes bankrupt. Then he becomes depressed and he keeps moving like soul to soul. Keep on moving, which I know about that. So yeah, I'm a pop culture cat. Listen, and you kept on moving. When what can you masters, do? What can, and he said, what can you do? And the point is that you are your own worst enemy. We control the narrative, not anybody else. Okay. Yep. We can control the narrative. It's, what it's I love actually- about your story, Leon, is that you didn't let this stop you. And many people listening to this have gone through, maybe not gone through that, but we've all gone through something that we overcome. And one of the things about this, this uh, masterclass is really to talk about your journey and your masterclass and how you took the negative and made it a positive. So you went back to school, got the master's and got a doctorate because I didn't know that part because you don't put that out there. So when you said that, I'm like, what? Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hold on. This is about to get heavy. And you got a doctorate. And then, and then, and, and so how did you, what, what did this internal fortitude come from to go back Actually, and do all these things? To be honest, it came from my dad dying. And it was very, I mean, I mean, I mean if you don't mind, I mean, it's a personal shit, but I remember my, my dad was from Suriname and his thing was he would, he went back to Suriname like every other, like every few years, whatever. And I remember seeing him earlier that year, the year that he died. And mm-hmm. I didn't see him that much. And he was like, Hey, Leon, I'm sick, but don't worry. I'm going to be Okay. Pack out of he booked a ticket to go to Suriname already, packed his bag, all that kind of shit. So then when he died, prior to going to Suriname, I had to kind of like clean out his house. Mm. And or clean out the he didn't even have a house. He had he lived like in the like a attic room at like this alcoholic place, dude, <laughs> alcoholic dude's place. Mm-hmm. And I had to like clean out his room and I saw his suitcase packed. 
And that broke me that then back then. That broke me. That broke that broke me in the mm. sense from like so many, how do you say that? So many, he had so many wishes. He wanted to do so many more things, but he never got to do it. And for me, that was a wake-up call at the same time. It was like, shit. I mean, he did, probably didn't expect them to, he didn't expect to die earlier that year. Right, <laughs> and it happened. Right, right. It's like, for me, that kind of like was a wake-up call, like live now. Mm. Shit, now it's on you. Nobody's going to do this shit for you. Go. Just do you hear it. that? You live now. Okay, people always say you live once. No, you live every day, but you die once. Mm-hmm. Remember that. You live every day. You die once. You don't. There's no, there's no such thing as you know. You you know you you you, die, you only live once. No, you live every day. Yep. And I love that energy. So you so your dad when you saw his suitcase, uh, was the stuff packed like he was getting ready to go on a trip? Yep. Wow. He had like he had like always like summer gear packed, mm-hmm. and like yeah, man, that was that was that was intense, man. It was that was that was really not fun. Wow. <laughs> that was really not fun. And I still actually and he died like I mean that was like 15, 16, no. Longer ago, 18 years, maybe. I don't know. Something like that, probably. And and remember, still like I still have it. Like I put, pull out one of his, his like basketball jerseys from the LA Lakers. I still have it somewhere. <laughs> like it's 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 but like I said, it it was a wake-up call for me to be like, okay, super sad, of course, for right. sure. But I try to like look at it from the perspective, like I can either like dwell mm-hmm. and be sad forever, hate life forever, mm-hmm. or I can try to like turn this negativity into something positive. And try to like you went extreme like, here. You went extreme. You took it from not being in school to going back to school to getting an mm-hmm. undergraduate degree to earning a master's degree and then getting a PhD. Mm-hmm. Wow! All because you saw that your father didn't live out his dreams the way he liked to have lived it, and took it to the extreme. Yeah, it, it, wow. it was my dad and my and my mom being like almost like on on a, like almost dying as well. It's like it was like shit. It's like my seeing my brothers struggle with life, seeing. The people around me struggle with everything. It's like, shit, if I have an opportunity here, I'm already like halfway there through college. All I have to do is finish this shit. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is make sure that when I finish this shit, I assume that I will get a job. Mm -hmm. After I get a job, I assume that I'll make a career. I didn't, I I wasn't planning then to go into video games because we're talking about video games. People, if you were wondering, yes, we're going to go up to esports soon. Don't worry. But (laughs) it's, I mean, I just try to approach it from the perspective, okay, one step at a time, baby steps. It's like, okay, cool. First get out of this, then get out of that, and kind of like see it as a kind of like chain, a chain of like you set the thing in motion and that impacts the other thing, which will impact the other thing and impact the other thing. Like basically be more pragmatic about it, break it down. Because if right. you try like, okay, I'm here now, I'm depressed. I feel super sad, right. <laughs> but I want to be a millionaire. <laughs> right, <laughs> which, I, right. which, which I am not, by the way, I wish. But that... Yeah, it's too big of a leap. Like, okay, how do I get out of depression? Out of this depression first, and then take it from there. So, okay, so once you earn a doctorate, how, where do you be? So, how did you be soft come into the picture? <laughs> I remember back then, I, I still played a lot of video games because that was also, to be honest, that was also one of my ways to escape from this this the insanity of my life. Okay, just to play what, some video games. What kind games. of games were you playing? Um, back then, that was probably what did I play back then? I think a lot of Tekken. Mm-hmm. Was that Battle? No, Battletoads was earlier than that. I'd like to, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, Broken Sword. Broken Sword, the point and oh, click wow. game. Love that mm-hmm. shit because storytelling. Yes. But I never, I, and I remember at a certain point in time buying a Ubisoft game called 13, which was a cell shaded game that didn't do that well, but I loved it because the style was like, oh, that's cool. And that was kind of like my first conscious, like, oh, Ubisoft moment mm-hmm. even though i did play prince of persia and i did play the games prior to that but never really kind of like clicked mm-hmm. and so when did ubisoft came in the frame come in the frame graduated from college started looking for my jobs kind of like was okay with my resume <laughs> i can probably get a proper job like this right and kind of like forgot about the fact that well having this very specific skill set that i had is not really like you can use it. You can. You cannot use this for that many things. Actually, like I thought, like okay, yes, I'm a semi celebrity. I have a doctorate. I have a PhD. Jobs will come and fly in. But well, I mean, <laughs> I went from from like job interview to job interview. Like you either don't have enough experience. You're not wearing the right shoes. No, they never said that. It's like not enough experience, <laughs> or it's like they didn't see it in you, or all that kind of stuff. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna say it's because I'm black or because they were white. I don't know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But at a certain point in time, I landed a job through a friend of mine that I mm-hmm. knew from 
back when I did, did the parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also back when I did my TV show, because he used to work for EA. And I remember mm-hmm. when I did my TV show, I did an interview with him about Def Jam Fight for New York because mm-hmm. hip hop game. Right. And he was like, he didn't work for EA anymore, but he worked for this publisher in Harlem. Where um, you live at too, Harlem. That's where you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let everybody know about Harlem. Let them talk about Harlem. The original Harlem. The original well, Harlem. Oh, you know, there's Harlem in New York with yes. one A and there's yeah. Harlem in Holland with two A's. Yeah. It's the original one because the Dutch used to own Manhattan and Manhattan. they sold it to the British because they're yeah. stupid. Yes. Anyway, bringing it back to where I was, Ubisoft, so got the job through the dude, was still in my whole kind of like, I want to create my own platform about my hip hop shit and managed to pitch them. I mean, I got an account manager job there. So my job was to sell pages in magazines. That's what we used to read back in the days, people. Uh, sell <laughs> pages in magazines to the entertainment industry. Right. One of, one of which being the gaming, one part being the gaming industry. Mm. So through that, I kind of like, kind of like realized there was a Dutch representation of the international game industry, which was like, oh, cool. Never knew that. But somehow the job didn't work out. To try to pitch it in my own magazine. At first, CEO of the company was like, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. But then whatever happened, happened. And the job stopped, stopped happening for me. And went back to applying for jobs, another job, another job, another job. Blah, blah, blah. And there's one day I saw an opening for a position in Ubisoft as a brand and product manager for Ubisoft in Holland. And I was like, oh shit, Ubisoft, I know them. I used to, I tried to sell them a page once and they never bought my page, but still I know them. I was like, ah, shit, let's, 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 let's apply for the job. What do, what do I have to lose? Only thing was they were asking for someone with like a marketing degree, six years of experience, you know, the usual, the usual stuff that you see in these kind of applications, these openings. And I had nothing to lose. So I applied for a job, applied for a job, went to the interview. Interview was super weird, got rejected, got mm-hmm. a rejection email. Since I didn't have anything to lose, I sent an email back, kind of like countering all their arguments why they rejected me. I was invited <laughs> back, was offered a job, and that was 15 years ago. In a nutshell. Well, you didn't get the job, and you sat there and you went point by point to them and said why you should have gotten the job. <laughs> yeah, so so I so I went to this super weird interview, this first interview, and I was had an interview with the marketing director for Ubisoft Benelux. Uh, cool guy, Marcel, but he was super weird back then. He was really testing me to see, okay, is this dude bullshit or is he really what he says that he is? Right. And the interview was just weird. And I kind of like basically at a certain point in time, I was like, oh, he's never going to give me this fucking job. So I basically leaned back and free wheeled and was like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Went through the interview. During my walkout, he asked about something that I put in my, in my resume that I interviewed Keith Sweat for my TV show back in the days, which was mm-hmm. completely irre- irrelevant to the job. But right. <laughs> I wanted to, well, whatever, just use this shit. And I remember him thinking, hey, I read in your resume that you interviewed Keith Sweat. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. You're like, is he really such a pimp? <laughs> hearing, hearing the word, and he used it even in Dutch. I mean, in Dutch, you don't use the word pimp. I mean, you, the English word pimp. Like, right. If you would say something, you would say the Dutch word, and that would also be weird. But him using that word in that context, so like... <laughs> Well, actually, yes, he was more interested in the, our female co-host and all that kind of stuff. And he right. started laughing like, oh, yes, I love Keith Sweat. <laughs> no, whatever, dude, you're weird as fuck. Walked out later today or like the next day, I received an email rejection being like, hey, Leon, thank you for coming. But we think you're not the right person for the job for these and these and these and these, and these, and these reasons. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, well, I disagree. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, thank you for the email of rejection. These and these and these reasons. Well, mm-hmm. You say that I have more sales than marketing. I created a TV show out of nothing and made it into the most successful TV show of the channel without any money. Mm. You say this, I did that. You said this, I did that. And then they invited me back. Mm. Wow. Because I had nothing to lose. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not? The lesson to that story, perseverance, my friends, that's kind of bold, it's different. But when you know, <laughs> when you know you're good or you're great at something and you know what the people are saying to you and you knew that that's just interesting. I love what you did. It wasn't even that. It wasn't that I thought it was great. I thought it was, I was, I thought it was, a, I was, I thought it was a, like a douche or like a fucking loser because I just managed to bankrupt my company. But I just factually disagreed with what they said. Right. And I was more sales than marketing. I was like, fuck, I hate sales. I hate doing sales. I just, I don't want to sell stuff that I don't believe in. I like right. doing marketing. I like creating stories. That's what I do. 
So mm-hmm. I had to like correct them because I'm like, yeah, but that's just not true. And so, well, so here's the deal, everyone. Not saying you should do what he said, what he did, what Leon did, but uh-huh. but again, if you know good and well that your brand is a certain way, or you know that you've done certain kinds of things, and people are 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 labeling you to be a certain way, or correct them, please correct uh-huh. them. Do not yeah. allow people to define you, okay? Because you define who you are, and especially if you're like, you have nothing to lose. If they already rejected you, what's the worst that could happen? They reject you again? Like, okay, sure. But for yeah. me, it was really like principalistic. Like, yeah, but I'm sorry. I just disagree with you on this. Right. And they bought it, thank God. And I, I mean, I, they bought it because it was, I mean, I mean shit, I, I meant what I said. And that's kind of like started my journey into Ubisoft where I started doing like brand management. So that's marketing for uh, games like Raving Rabbits, the first mm-hmm. Raving Rabbits game that we released on the Wii. I started in the year that the Nintendo Wii was launched. Oh. So, oh. I, so I did all the launch products for the Wii. So I did the uh, Raving Rabbits. I did Red Steel. And for Red Steel, that was a cool, cool anecdote. Since I like doing parties, for me, mm-hmm. Red Steel was like it was like a samurai kind of game, but not really like, kind of like modern samurai shit. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a huge, good excuse to produce another produce a party because I was like, hey, Ubisoft, did you ever do like launch parties here in Holland? Mm. And they were like, no, not really. I was like, hey, that's what I used to do. Like, can I do like a launch party to generate some cool coverage around this title? Blah blah blah. Invite some celebrity friends. We're the friends, fuck it. <laughs> some celebrity people and blah 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, sure, go right ahead. So they gave me a budget. Could, do, could manage me. Uh, they that allowed me to do a party in one of the coolest clubs in Amsterdam back then called Jimmy Woo. And we invited like the entire like game industry in Holland, plus my kind of like former hip hop network of like cool shit. And yeah, that turned out really well. That turned out into one of the cool things. So 15 years later, you're still at micro and you're still at Ubisoft. And yeah, uh, be, yeah, because I mean, I, th- I think what happened through that is because I mean, I worked for Ubisoft Holland for seven years doing like first started doing marketing. Marketing is cool. However, I'm not really into like this, like the, the Excel sheets and like, like, like doing all the data research. I don't care about that. I like doing well, that's, fun that's stuff. A, that's the boring side of marketing. But it's a part of it. So I it's had to do it. it yeah. and I had to do it, but it wasn't my, it was, I, I mean, I, I could do it and I was okay, but I was just not interested in doing that. Right, sure. At a certain point in time, I got the opportunity to to travel along with Marcel, my marketing director, to be to go to LA for E3, so the big game show in Los Angeles every year, because mm-hmm. the senior brand manager was not available. And you guys won Best Publisher at the E3 Awards in uh, 2017, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, that was my show. That was, I mean, that was, I mean, that was a, yeah, I mean, I mean, no, I see. That was, but that that was honestly that's that's the show that I'm most proud of because that's for me that was the culmination of all the work that I did. The reason mm-hmm. for that, and uh, the 2017 show was the show where we had we started the show with Miyamoto, so that's the creator of the Super Mario range, right. on stage together with our CEO Eve, and. That was like a magic kind of moment because it was, for me, that's the thing. Whenever I kind of like watch these kind of game events, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of like lacked, back in the days, lacked the spark of like entertainment. It was just a product presentation or it was just hosted by, and I don't mean it in a bad way because I'm a nerd as well, but it was hosted by like awkward nerds. Right. It's like, it kind of like missed the whole showness. Right. Or we or the industry in general and Ubisoft as well. We relied on like external talent working with a celebrity like Amazing person, Aisha Tyler. That's yeah. that that was her host. Amazing. I love her. However, I was like, why do we pay so much money to work with external people while we have the internal talent to push forward wow. and make our shit even more authentic? If we talk about our passions and about our stuff, then when we hire someone to do that for us. So for me, that 2017 show was the show where kind of like everything came together. It was like magic. Mm. We had like this, this cool opening with a very cool, like just dance performance, which I'm very proud of because that's my shit. And then we closed the show with a very cool announcement. That was yeah. Magic moment. Mm. Wow. So your, your, your big thing is, is the event side of the business side of, uh, that is of, correct. of entertainment. Now okay. it is. Yeah. But I kind of like, I kind of like, 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 how do you say that? Took a taste of every, segment of communications and marketing within Ubisoft. And for me, indeed, I gravitated more towards events. I also did PR for a while, which is also super cool. Super cool for the sense, in the sense that for video games and probably also for other PR uh, roles, you have to travel and you have to travel all over the world with journalists, which, yes, I remember the coolest trip I ever did was for a game called Driver San Francisco, where they 
<laughs> they well paid us basically to drive muscle cars from LA to San Francisco. Oh wow! Like like yeah, sure, I'll go. So I like called one of our gaming journalist friends, like, hey, you want to go to LA? <laughs> you want to drive a car? You want to bring dope. a cameraman? And we did that. That is dope. Super <laughs> that dope. dope. Yeah, man. Oh my god. Yeah, man. Yes. Yeah. So you you see, you're basically. The things that you did in your previous life with MTV on your DJ experience, you were able to take all those elements yep. and bring and marry it to Ubisoft. Yep. But I, I think that is one of the things that, to bring it back to hip hop again, the elements of hip hop, mm-hmm. the MC, the breakdancers, right. the, all that kind of stuff, these kind of elements of entertainment work on games perfectly. And the first time that I noticed that it works, that there is a very clear link, and that's why I mentioned that Red Stool Party, that launch party that I did back in the days for Ubisoft, mm-hmm. is where it was a merger between like the game nerds, mm-hmm. the quote unquote game nerd, journalist nerd, whatever, and the hip hop, the Dutch hip hop community. And you would right. think that's a weird match. That mm-hmm. would never do this. However, hip hop people or musicians in general play games they play a lot of video games so they had shit to talk about so what you before you knew they were talking about the latest games and like sharing blah 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 blah. and that's where i saw okay there is there is a link then when i started doing these life events launch parties but like these game shows these game conventions in holland where i kind of like brought in one of my former dj friends to like like to cut some records of course hip-hop mostly Mm -hmm. it vibed really well with the audience so then at a certain point in time, I was like, okay, this works. Let me pick up the microphone and let me do some MC shit because nobody else wanted to do that because they're all awkward. And that's what I used to do. I was like, yeah, I used to host for TV so I can also do this. Started implementing that and that worked really well as well. People like really loved that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember like one day it was the launch of Assassin's Creed, first Assassin's Creed. And we had a limited edition figurine. I was like on the stage of our booth, stand, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> MCing with a DJ behind me. And I wanted to give away like the figurine. A few thousand people in front being like, okay, who wants this figurine? Ah! Okay, if you want this figurine, get on your knees. 5,000 people on their knees. Mm. There was one black, one black dude all the way in the back who was like, I am not kneeling down for this effing figurine. So I was like, you get the figurine. Wow. <laughs> like the guy standing up, everybody on their knees was like, what the hell? Right. That's that funny. Was, that, was a, that was an amazing moment though. But that's the cool thing. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I've been for you at Ubisoft for so long is because all of these cool experiences, like there's so many and it okay. kind of like shaped my life into where I am right now. I was like, like shit, never so expected that to happen. What role do you see yourself playing as we close out? Because I mean, I could talk to you for hours, man. Yeah, same, same um, here. Sorry. And, and I talk a lot. Sorry. I don't no, think you no, no, to like this is great. No, right. listen, this is great content. I've been sitting here. It's a pleasure listening to this because I'm like, we got to do, can you, would you be able to come back and do part two? Of course. Yeah, sure. And part three and part four and part yeah, five, part yeah, six as by, well. Yeah. By all means. Because I want to, I want to talk to you next time about this, but I want to, I want you to kind of tee it. I want to tee it up for you now. Being a person of color internationally, but yet you, you're still black, right? And at the same, <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah, you're still black at the end of the day. How do yep. you see, how do you see Ubisoft or, or, or how do you see yourself being a catalyst on providing pathways uh, for yeah. people of color into the video game industry and particularly with a Ubisoft? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I first started working on these life events, these game conventions, mm-hmm. that was the first time I kind of realized that within the industry, because mm-hmm. that's the moment where you see all like the industry reps right. doing their shit. That I like, hey, it seems like I'm one of the only, if not the only, there was another black dude, uh, black dudes in the in the industry. And I remember meeting this guy from Nintendo International, an American dude. I forgot his name. Um, I'm not sure if he still works there. If he does, would love to be in contact weekend with him because he was a major inspiration for what I'm doing right now. I started talking with him. Being like, hey, dude, like, like, you're from the states. How's it in the states? How's this? How's the industry there? He's like, oh, it's super white, just as white as it is as it is out here. Mm-hmm. And kind of like following that, I started focusing more and more on the topics of diversity, inclusion, and representation because I'm like, shit, I'm the only one or one of the few people that I know. I mean, probably there. I mean, now there are more for sure because um, you know. But back in the day, one of the few black folks in the industry. But since I was still focusing on like getting my career in order, getting like stability, very important, mm-hmm. stability, 
I didn't really do that much with it because I also didn't want to like link too much on it. But I remembered like when I just started, there was this one event. It was a launch party for, I think it was Halo, not mm-hmm. our event. So a Microsoft event, I was invited. And I remember going to that event in Amsterdam and it was like this old theater in Amsterdam. And it was like a lobby in front, outside patio in front where there were like all the media people like smoking cigarettes, hanging out, having a drink. And this one dude sees me that I knew was like a journalist and white dude. Mm-hmm. And predominantly white people on that on the patio. White dude sees me, turns around to me, and he's like, "Hey, N word!" Wow! I like, excuse me. <laughs> it was basically one of those movie moments where it kind of like this felt like the music stopped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everybody looked at him, looked at me, and they were like, "Okay, how is he going to respond to that?" Right. And I told him like. Don't ever do that again. Like I'm not, we're not going to make a big fuss of that shit. But that's no, no, wow, no. Anywho, with all that kind of stuff in mind, the fact that indeed there weren't that many black folks in the, in, in the industry, and when I started working on E3 seven years ago, I realized I have this huge platform, mm. a huge platform where we have millions of people watching this show. So I started working on okay, how can we get more diversity in the show with the talent that we put on stage first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Which we, I mean, we had Aisha Tyler. We had some of our own internal people that we put on for it. I also hosted the show one day, which was super weird. The first year that mm. I that I produced the show, I also had to host the pre-show, which was like, okay, sure, why not? Right. Uh, but trying to work on representation through that. But at a certain point in time, I'm like, okay, it's not all about me. I don't, it's not my spot. I've been there, done that. I have my five minutes. Mm-hmm. We try to use my platform to do more. So in 2019, mm-hmm. we started the Black Game Pros Mixer which is an initiative by Ubisoft to generate and foster more representation in the industry, getting more black folks to work, not only for Ubisoft, but for the industry. And mm-hmm. we've been doing that ever since and had done, have done five events from Toronto to E3 to the African continent to the UK, wow. really trying to focus on putting a spotlight on these underrepresented folks in the industry right. that are already working in the industry, that right. are already excelling in the industry, but that people might not know. And what I wanted to show is it's linked to actually my TV show period. During my TV show period, I used to read a lot of like these hip hop magazines in order to like catch up on the latest culture of the States because that's what you needed to do. We follow the States. Mm-hmm. In Source Magazine or Vibe Magazine or whatever, one of those, there was an interview one day with a dude who worked for EA or Activision, black dude who worked as event manager or event director for one of those parties. Mm. That planted a seed in my subconscious mind showing that, hey, I didn't even know this was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Never really did play it on that at all until the possibility knocked on my door to go to Paris, Montreux, to, to work yep. on these work on these events. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do with the Black Game Pros Mixer, what we are trying to do with the Black Game Pros Mixer, is create more of these moments of representation so that the next generation of our colleagues get that seed planted in their subconscious, being like, oh shit, if they can do it, so can I. Nice. Love it. Yeah, we definitely need to talk more because you and I talked about some partnerships and collaborations. We're not going to, we can't go into detail what they are right now, but we had some really interesting conversations there's, the other day. There's, there's some cool stuff coming up. I, hope, I, really cool hope stuff. That the, I really hope that the thing that we talked about last, like last week, that that's, it, that's it's gonna, like, it, it, it's going to come to fruition. I think so too. Yeah, I have the feeling I that think it's, so. uh, yeah. yeah, and that's, and that's going to be huge and, and you're going to be I, part of that. And I appreciate you thinking of me and, and helping of course, me. Come on. Then who else? I mean, you're the oh, dude, yeah. man. Yeah, I am I'm, I'm, I am dope. Okay. I am dope. Exactly. You know, Sports exactly. Observer. I got to give a shout out to Sports Observer. They had their top five stories of the year and your boy came in at number two. Yep. Two. As you, you, know as you should. And make I, sure you'll yes, be I'm number one. I'm embracing my dopeness. Yeah, as you should. Well, and make sure you'll be number one. Next year I'll be number one. We're claiming that, brother. We're claiming well, that. This year, um, this year actually. <laughs> this year, I'm claiming that. Yep. Claiming that, brother. Uh, so we've been talking to Leon Winkler, director of international events of Ubisoft, 15 years in the game. Just a, an iconic figure internationally. Good brother. And uh, we're going to have him come back. He promised to come back. We're definitely mm-hmm. going to be working closely with him. And you've been listening to the Esports Future Ride Podcast Network, powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. Shout out to Aaron and Sia. Thank you for holding us down. AJ, my man on the wheels of steel. And again, we are just grateful to be part of the Dr. Marks, Dr. Marks Masterclass. And Jacob, you know, Jacob, you know who you are. 
man, Jacob, man, he put this together. He's the RZA. You know, he's the RZA. Jacob Miles the third, not the first, not the second, but the third. Okay. Third. And remember, when we come back with our next episode, okay, remember, I say this every time we sign off, you can control three things. What you think, what you do, and what you say. Let me repeat that again. What you think, what you do, and what you say. You've heard Brother Leon talk about his journey to where he's at now. He's overcome adversity. All of us understand all about that. And we always tell you that don't need to find a hero. The hero is within you. You are your own hero. That's why it's here on the arm. It's tatted on the arm. H-E-R-O. You are the own, your own hero. So enjoy today. Enjoy the night. Enjoy the weekend. Remember, practice social distancing, my friend. Please do that. We want to save this planet. God bless you all. We will see you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed. Thank you.